Hello. My name is Aaron Dismuke. Uh, wait, did the hello go through? I'm going to assume it did. Okay, everything's fine. Everything's fine. I'm going to keep talking. Hi, my name is Aaron Dismuke. I'm a voice actor. You may know me as Senku Ishigami in Dr. Stone, Tamaki Yamajiki in My Hero Academia, or Alphonse Elric in Full Metal Alchemist. You are watching the Points of Experience podcast. <laughs> Today on the Points of Experience podcast, as you just heard, we have one of the, he he just seems like such a genuinely sincere, gentle, kind, empathetic, talented, like a real person, like a real person who cares and loves about what they do, um, the talented, the multi-talented uh, Aaron Dismuke on the Points of Experience podcast. You all might know him as Alphonse Elric from Full Metal Alchemist, or Dr. Stone, My Hero Academia, and many, many more titles. It has been such an honor and a privilege to talk to Aaron. We we talk about his start, you know, being a child actor, essentially, and continually to grow into an amazing human being and uh, falling in love with voice acting and becoming a, a director and script adapter, talking about his struggles with some complications he had with his voice. This was a really, really great episode with me, uh, with me, God, not with me, with Aaron, to talk with someone with so sincerely and genuinely about, you know, kind of um, that experience with their voice and the implications it had on their career, as well as just kind of our mutual love for, for video games and, and how that shaped us as children slash becoming actors. It's a really, really great one. Um, I love this. I really love this. And again, y'all, if you haven't reviewed us on the Spotify, Apple, Tunes, YouTube, whatever it is, make sure you leave a, uh, a five-star or whatever star you believe that these episodes are are um, in value and review, all that stuff. Go ahead. Smash every button that's in your vicinity. Um, enjoy this one. Aaron Dismuke on Points of Experience Podcast. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us on the show. You have been somebody. We we created a very early list in the inception of this podcast, and your name was from like the very early sheet, the Excel spreadsheet that we had. And uh, we've had a couple of your friends and colleagues on, and your name just kept coming up. And I'm like, all right, it's about time. We're 30 <laughs> plus d- episodes deep. Let's finally reach out to Aaron. So nice. thank you for answering my cold, blind email to you as Gabe Kunda, who was a previous guest of ours once did to you before uh so i really appreciate that (laughs) that's uh oh i'm so glad to hear gabe uh that gabe was on your podcast yeah that was he he reached out yeah with a just a cold email but it was super professional and the voice reel on it was i mean he just brought something that i hadn't heard anyone else do ever you know can you can you talk a little bit about that? If we'll, we'll, we'll probably jump back to the beginning of your life very shortly, but just since we're here, yeah, what is that like for you, especially somebody who is working, you know, at Funimation? I'm assuming at the time, and yeah. you, you've probably gotten many emails similar to his before. Uh, definitely blind, having either tr- you know tried something random or they found it through a friend. Like receiving yeah, yeah. an email like that, what is what is it that sets somebody apart, like Gabe or anybody else, that you're like that? is that's something I'm going to take seriously amongst probably like, you know, hundreds of fan submissions and whatever else you might receive. What is it that actually translates to, okay, this is somebody who I'm going to take seriously and I want to take a chance on? 
Um, he, he was concise. He valued my time with his email, but he also took care sort of like you did to establish his credentials. Um, and it's, and say, look, I'm, I'm working, you know, I'm not working in anime, but, but I'm working. And he, you know, he had this quick list of his sort of highlights on what he'd done before. And then, you know, I'd love it if you'd give this a listen. I'd love to audition for you if you, if you did it, you know, if, if you like it. And, uh, honestly, I'm, if somebody gets to the point where they're in my inbox and they have a voice reel, I will listen to at least the first five seconds of it. But that mm. first five seconds is super crucial. So like, that's where that's, that's your chance to hook me. Um, and I think that with him, one of the things that made him hook me was, uh, I mean, he's, he's skilled. Like he has the, the skill as an actor. Um, but he also, um, just has like a rare voice print. Um, mm. and, and so he's, he's someone who I've always thought like, like should be in the industry. You know, he, he, he's ended up doing so many cool, like, uh, trailers with, with like the super deep voice. Yeah. Um, the first guy that I had him do was, uh, this sort of like cool laid back guy. And, and, you know, he had done, he had sort of a radio voice at the time because he hadn't done much, uh, anime before mm. or, or video games even to my knowledge. Um. And and so I was like, this radio thing kind of works with this laid back guy who I know isn't gonna like you know scream or or, or turn into a chibi person or anything yeah. like that. <laughs> and so there was also just a role that felt right for it. So it was just sort of everything lined up, you know. Wow, yeah, I that's something I always try to talk about. Is I mean, it's that age old saying, or maybe it's not age old. I hear it a lot recently. Like the the talent and preparation meets the opportunity. So yeah. him sending that email in the right way at the right time, having the skill to back it up, you having something you were working on that's like it's all right fit. It's mm -hmm. it almost seems like fate or divine in some way. But I feel yeah. like you have to be working multiple. Uh, avenues at all you know you have to make sure that you're doing everything you can on your end and also trying to find the right people that you might be an asset to and I guess that's what happened for him I'd love to ask him how many uh, directors at Funimation he sent those cold emails to you know <laughs> right because yeah. yeah it seems like it was like fate that it worked out that it just happened he was in the right place at the right time but but he was creating, he was putting himself in situations, you know, if you throw the, the fishing reel 20 times, you know, one time it will be that right place, right time. Absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. Does, does it excite you to, like, maybe these are both separate things, but does it excite you to work with new talent or is there, um, do you have more of an, a comfortability working with somebody who's like really established and you're like, yeah, I'm really excited to, to work with this person who's been killing it and see what they bring that I have no idea how to even tame that wild beast. Like, which, which is one or more of the preferences that you might have? I think... Um something really common with new directors, and this was true for me, for sure, um, is that we, A, we know that if we use someone who's new, then they will respect us as being an authority on the subject. You know, they'll take <laughs> direction because yeah. we have more experience than them. And it's, it's a little bit stranger, you know, when I was, I think I was 24 the first time that I directed uh, Eric Vale. Who, I know Eric, yeah. Yeah, who, who was... And, and, you know, I was subbing in. Um, so I'm not the director who cast him. I'm not the authority on the subject to him. And so what do I have to teach him whenever he was acting, you know, on the day I was born? Yeah. <laughs> um, 
I don't know that that's true, but it, <laughs> it might be close. Who knows? When yeah. did Dragon Ball Z come out? Right? Yeah. When was this? Yeah. First? <laughs> he was definitely acting when I was like five. Um, yeah. Yeah. So there's that. Um, <laughs> not to try to make Eric Bale sound old. <laughs> he looks great. He he's does look great. great. And he's a great um, guy. And a funny story about Eric Vale real quick yeah. is that he was one of the first people when I was starting out and extremely blind about how, he, how to navigate into the anime industry. He hopped on a Zoom call with me. And I think I might have spoken about this before. But he was like one of the only, again, sending out 100 emails. Eric was yeah. like, yeah, this this kid seems to be having some sense of what he's doing. This was probably 10 years ago at the time. Gotcha. And uh, he, he responded. He had a whole freaking Zoom call with me talking about oh, his, cool. his movie he made about him on a plane or that I don't know what it was it's like a plane movie he had done that's all I really remember but great guy fantastic guy (laughs) yeah but you know there's you can be intimidated whenever you're directing someone more experienced than you so I've noticed that newer directors tend to cast newer actors and I think part of it Mm. is because it's it's feels safer in terms of just uh, like having having someone be willing to take your direction but then also it's it's just kind of exciting to be able to bring new people in you know you see talent all the time whenever you're an actor and you're like gosh like like i'll watch a play and i'll be like gosh i wish that that person like they have such a cool voice and and they're so they did such a great performance in this piece of community theater they probably didn't get paid a dime um (laughs) i would love to see them in anime and then you get the chance to bring them in and then you find out sight reading is not their forte, you know, <laughs> and, and I, I do think where I'm at these days is it kind of depends on the show. I think that there are shows where I want to test out actors who have not done voiceover before. Um, and, and there are roles that are better for newer actors, um, mm. you know, smaller characters. And it's not just about the size. It's also about how much... Um, range that character has you know i i look for certain characters that are like sort of deadpan and i'm like that's a great place to start with somebody who's never done flaps before Mm -hmm. um so now i'm more limited i i I like to use experienced voice actors and i've realized nowadays that there are a lot of experienced voice actors who are underused Mm. so i think um yeah, these days I'm less prone to use a lot of new people than I was. I also don't direct that much anymore, I should mention. Sure. The last, yeah. <laughs> last show I directed, I ended up directing season one of Kaguya-sama Love is War because uh-huh. Morgan LeRae, the director who cast it and, and um, directed season two, which we recorded first because simuldubs, um, she wasn't able to do it, and so I just filled in for her. Okay. Yeah. So that's also very interesting. I mean, what was it about directing at that time or what is it about directing right now? Or is it just kind of happenstance or is it where you are in your life where you're either probably more focused on the acting portion of things? What has been the journey through directing versus acting and where you are today? Um, okay, so big question in, in my life. You know, I started voice acting when I was nine years old. That was I was in Fruits Basket. And, mm-hmm. and my great talent was being um, biologically male and and prepubescent. And so I sounded more like a nine-year-old boy than any adult woman could. Um, <laughs> yeah. So from that age, I was acting. But I, I was aware of the fact that most child actors don't end up becoming, um, well, balanced human beings, for <laughs> one thing, but, uh, but become 
prominent uh, full-time actors. Like they don't end up being adult actors a lot of the time. And so I kind of didn't want to put all my eggs in that basket. Um, Mm. And then right around, you know, I got Full Metal Alchemist and I figured that was the highlight and that was going to be, you know, just something cool that I could mention every now and then to folks. But but I, I really didn't see a career path in it until after college whenever I won a short story competition that my college did. And then my dad suggested that I send that to Funimation. And that got me into adaptive writing for uh. anime dubs. And then Tyler Walker, who I was doing scripts for, for Fairy Tale, um, he was like, hey, you're doing really good work with the script stuff. Would you like to assist and direct for me? I should mention he's the third. <laughs> he was the third director who asked me if I would be their assistant director. <laughs> um, the first two, I was like, oh, gosh. Um, and it, it made me nervous, the thought of it. I was also working as a waiter at the time uh-huh. um, at Papa's Burgers. Um, and uh, the first two, I was like, I'll, I'd love to do it. But, you know, only if, if you think I'm, I'm ready. I'm not sure if I'm experienced enough, but, but, but I'll totally do it if you'd like me to. And then they didn't hit me up again because I, you know, voice nervousness. Uh And then when Tyler brought it up, he sort of sold me on myself. If that makes sense. He was like, sure. You have have a really good knowledge of these characters. And so I'd like you to assist and direct for me. And I thought about the other two times that I'd been asked and I was like, okay, yes, I will do that. And I did not say, I don't think I'm experienced enough. (laughs) so you were already dogging yourself before you even gave yourself a chance to even try something you've never tried before yeah and and up to that point up to where i had directing as an option and script adaptation as an option i i was trying to be pragmatic about the fact that actors can't pay their bills um (laughs) yes or voice actors can't pay their bills um yeah, I, yeah. I think that's a, a, a broad. I think it encompasses all actors. I think it's. Uh, I, I think it is a feat if you are able to pay your bills through acting. It is one of the. It was my goal and continues to be my goal to, to yeah. do pay my bills doing what I love. Uh, I was yeah. just playing a just playing a board game with a couple of friends and they were like, "What is the dream?" And I was like, "To do what I love and be able to pay my bills with it." And I think I just <laughs> said that to Keith earlier as well. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the the new American dream in general. Um, just in modernity, it's it's less about nuclear family and, and owning a house and all these things. Like those are nice if you can yeah. do them, but but what people really want, I think, in our generation is just to not have to spend forty hours a week at a job we hate. Like yeah. if we can somehow be our own boss on some level, some sort of thing like that, like a gig economy, your own business, something like that. I, those people seem to be the happiest from what I've seen. Yeah, I definitely have noticed that. And then there's, like you said, nothing wrong with that traditional nuclear idea of of a family and life and things like that. But I've, I've just even noticed through people, um, even later in like my dad's life, who had traditionally he worked as an HVAC repairman. You know, working pretty commuting into the city every day, dealing with you know shitty life circumstances, and then later in life making a a careerish hobby out of like his passion for DVDs. Like never seen the man more happy in my life than like collecting and having commentating like uh, opinions about DVDs. And so like the the prospect of him working in like some sort of capacity like that was his post uh, um, retirement. Like that's what he wanted to do more of, and I'm like, I think yeah. I was twenty in the 
you know, 2020 era. I don't know how much life is there in DVDs and Blu-rays, but, you know, bless his, bless yeah. his heart. But, um, yeah, for sure. I definitely, I definitely see people who are super um, – and there's just the option to do it more so. And even for, like, a voice acting perspective, I think it's really accessible for people to try these things in, in, the, in the gig economy of things. You know, you yeah. can – buy a hundred dollar mic and an interface for 80 bucks and if you have the computer in a room it's like yeah you could probably make some money doing this yeah absolutely yeah i i want to actually now ask you because you were talking about obviously i mean full metal alchemist is a is a pretty um (laughs) prominent point in your life i would say Uh it's one of the first things i knew you from and being that young in your career and having an opportunity like that, I have to imagine number one, you didn't know much about what that was going to amount into. I don't, I, I can't imagine you knew what the impact that that would have. Probably being by most people who are big fans of animes in the top five, you pretty much hear that consistently in the top yeah. five, like anime, especially anime dubs of all time with you know performances like yours. What was it about you at that point, you know, you talked about your fear of eventually doing this, not really having an idea of doing this as a career later, and yeah, yeah. it didn't become that type of things later, but you had such a sensibility at such a young age for what you were doing. Where did all of that sensibility in terms of making choices and having empathy for your character, especially a character like Alphonse, where there's such love and admiration and sincerity um, that he has for his brother and for the world and finding his mother? Like, where did all of that come from? Number one, for you as a person, but also having the understanding to be like, this is how I translate this into a character that I'm voicing. Like, where did where did that understanding come from? Was it good directors? Was it your upbringing? Was it acting coaches? Where did all yeah. that come from at such a young age, specifically in that role? Okay. Um, there's a few things. Uh, I think it, it is a relevant point that I was grounded very, very often, even at that age. I was just always in trouble for something. Hmm. Um, <laughs> okay, grounded and, in that sense. I thought you were like, grounded as an actor. I was like, you're no. very in tune with yourself. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> no, no, I was in trouble with my parents. Um, okay. And thus, I was not allowed to watch TV. And even if I wanted to watch TV, I also wasn't allowed to have video games. Mm. Even if I had been allowed to watch TV, we only had three channels and one was in Spanish and I did not speak Spanish. Um, And so I read books all the time. Um, Me and my mom went to the library every week. I read multiple books a week. Um, And it's hard to... Every now and then you see a movie that that incorporates voiceover in a way that really puts you into someone else's mind and Mm. gets you into someone else's perspective. But I I don't think there's any real substitute for for what literature can do in that regard. Literature can have two people who sincerely want to kill each other and make both of them relatable to you because you're in both of their heads. Every chapter, it's one, then the other, you know? Yeah. Um, And yeah, I, I think books are really what set me up for acting, namely because we don't get to memorize scripts in anime, you know? Uh, We're just reading for the first time, and it's so crucial. The single most important thing is that you not sound like you're reading. Mm -hmm. Um, And some actors will struggle with it, especially if they're trying to look both directions, Um, you know, trying to look at the the animation and also at the script. Um, I always tell newer actors, I'm like, only look at the scripts, please. Yeah. <laughs> like just just pause when it says dot dot <laughs> uh, and and leave leave the rest to our engineers. Um, yeah. So there's that in terms of being grounded about the potential of that as a career path. 
I'll give credit to my my old man. Um, yeah, I, you know, on one end, it kind of now that I'm here, I'm kind of like, you know, it would have been nice if you'd been like, hey, I think you could really do this, and and you <laughs> should, yeah, you know. But but flip side, I don't know. I'm I'm glad that what he stopped me from becoming was like a megalomaniac or or a person who needed that attention like chemically. Sure. Um, yeah, and so I was glad that, or I am glad that he sort of inoculated me against that. I mean, that's super important. Um, I had cousins who were child actors. My cousin Raquel was in that movie Jersey Girl. And you mm. know, like you were saying, a lot of um, young actors find themselves in a position where either they don't really know themselves, they don't really know what um, the reality is with success very young. You're on the top of the mountain at a very early age and to find self-worth and all those things i'm sure you experienced that but if you decided to go to college and things i'm sure you had your own version of experiencing that being in one of the most prolific titles i think that have that has existed historically in mm -hmm. anime um history but I, I also just want to keep commenting back now so like where did you in terms of like when you, in your performances in the booth the choices that you were making you said a lot of that came from literature but was it you had worked on fruit baskets before then was that one was that the only role you had done before full metal i think i did i think i did um something in lupin the third before okay. that as well i was like some random kid but but it was my first it was my first serious role it was my first lead yeah. it was my first um of a lot of things and i think one of the only reasons they could trust me with it is because um, Al is in a suit of armor, and so he doesn't have mouth movements to match ah, up. Yes. So I didn't have to worry about timing. And I also, I need to give Colleen and Mike a lot of credit, because a lot of it was was when something just went over my dumb little head, mm -hmm. they were like, please say it like this. And then they said it like how it needed to be said, and then I parroted them. Yeah. Um, and, and I was capable of doing that. And you know, that's something because I've been directing where I'm like, can you please hit this word? And they're like, what do you mean? And then I say it how it needs to be said. And then they like can't say it back like that. And I'm like, huh, that's fascinating. <laughs> you know, because like, even if it doesn't make sense, I can hit any word in a sentence. Yeah. I guess that's some random skill I had back then. But Well, I, I think it's a skill <sighs> even now for people to be able to do that, like you said. And also another part of that is the ego to not let yourself be like, why am I being given a line reading? Oh, but, yeah. So that I feel like that's a whole other part that you must have had at the time to say, I trust these two people with mm. knowing what is right. And I'm not this, you know, pompous little kid being like, I know what the <laughs> heck I'm doing, you know? So, I mean, I was a bit of a little shit. They had to. <laughs> okay, okay. They, they had to bribe me. Like, I would get really bored and they had to bribe me by being like, okay, you can go play Halo with the full-time employees uh for a, a little bit once you get through this episode okay sure that sort of thing. wow okay yeah that it was a you know it's a startup whenever there are employees on the clock playing halo <laughs> <laughs> yeah right very much so that's like the key the key identifying moment reminds me of when i used to see like college humor when i was in new york and it's really yeah just people playing video games on their off time um <laughs> But what, was it, were you, did you, like, did you identify yourself as an actor at that point yet? Or was like, this is just something I'm doing when I'm not at school? Or like, where did you get this idea to just, did you just trust your instincts and your directors? Uh, is that where those choices came from? So, yeah, the way I got in, I should, I should just open with that, was uh, just 
raw nepotism. You know, again, it's a startup. Um, yeah. And so I got to defend my cousin, Justin Cook, who's currently director of production at Crunchyroll. Um, I defend him for bringing on his little cousin, uh, even though I will use the phrase, somebody hired their cousin whenever I see a performance I don't like. <laughs> I defend him because he did not have any actual kids who were banging down the door to audition. Um, yeah. At the time, they didn't like know about any agencies that were in the area. Mm-hmm. They they did not have the access to um, like trained actors, certainly not at my age, not mm. that many trained actors. And so it was a question of who knows who at that point because the company was so small. Nowadays, I think that it would be bad to bring in your cousin to Crunchyroll because there are so many people who are doing all the work to try yeah. to get in. Um, and, and who were, who were knocking on the door. And, and so, yeah, I was not trying to be an actor, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't take a spot from someone who was at the sure. time. And so that's what I say in, in defense of, of Justin. But yeah, I, I wasn't, all I did was whenever I got a text message, my mom, when my mom got a text message from the talent coordinator at Funimation, she said, yep, we'll be there. Uh-huh. And then she, after working a full 10 hour day would pick me up from school and then drive me to Funimation and then wait for me to finish recording and then drive me home. It was an hour drive. Wow. Um, yeah. I owe her a lot. <laughs> I mean, that's, she was doing like 16 hour days. If you count, you know, the four hours after work that she had to spend like carting me around and waiting for me and stuff. Oh, heck yeah, mom. I mean, that's, you know, like what a, that's, it's, I, I really commend, uh, the parents of, of young actors for doing, you know, it's, it's not an easy thing to, to constantly keep shepherding your kids to auditions and being there waiting for them to come out. It's becomes basically a part of their life and it can easily turn into either one, which is like the crazy stage mom, uh, behemoth of things that we hear or, what it seems like for you is you had parents that were really supportive of you and doing this and, and wanted you and wanted you to turn out to be more than just like this performance. I mean, you went on to do more titles in your youth and stuff. So it carried through, um, where, but at what point for you, was it even, was it post kind of, um, full metal then at that point, you know, when did it, when did you say, okay, I want to uh, take a break from this? Or did you say, I want to keep doing this? What was the conversation after working on like a big title like that and saying, mm. okay, I want to keep doing this or I want to take a break or these things keep coming in and I don't want to do them anymore. What was the conversation you were having like at that point in your life before you like went away to college? Well, okay. So I should, I should say, you know, it's always been local to me. Mm. Um, and so there was never a point where I said, I'm going to stop doing this when I'm asked to. Okay. Um, I I was always like, okay, whenever I get an opportunity, I will say yes. Um, so there's a point where, there's a point from when I was about 13, 14, when I did the, the Full Metal Alchemist Conqueror of Shambhala movie. Uh-huh. Um, and also I did uh, Trinity Blood right after that with uh, Mike McFarlane also directing that. That's uh, Troy Baker's last anime lead mm. before he moved on to like triple a video games. Yeah. <laughs> um and for that show you can hear what it sounds like when i scream as a pubescent male uh and it was rough 
I mean, people think they want realism, but they and they've got all these teenage characters. They don't want realism. Trust me. Not anymore. Any you don't <laughs> you don't want to hear uh, young Midoriya do a uh, an adolescent uh, squawk any more than you want to see zits on his face you know sure. <laughs> yeah. people want it sensationalized they want they want the the adolescent years to be laundered a little bit for mm-hmm. them very a little true. prettier um anyway i did that and i think after that because my voice was just so rough and like wobbly and it, you know it'd be deep and then high and, and puberty hormones uh i didn't get cast much at all until i was probably 19 and then once i was 19 you know, I was always auditioning for for Funimation stuff, but I wasn't getting parts until right around my freshman year in college, mm. um, or maybe my senior year of high school. And um, I, I don't think it was until after I graduated college, uh, and and there was this one year that I got three. It was one season, and I got three significant size characters in the same season. Um, and I was like, they must like me. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> and that's that's something I have to throw out there is like there will be dry spells um, in any actor's career. There will be points where you think you must be on a blacklist because it's been so long since you've been cast. Oh, yeah. uh, and you, you're like repressing the urge to text and be like, did I say something wrong? <laughs> and, and I hear from the full time directors all the time about them getting those texts, you know, and that's never what it is people are never thinking about you as much as you think they are i know we all Um, think we're the center of the universe yeah yeah Uh, and and so right around then was when i was like started when i i guess i started to like let myself hope that i could maybe make a living out of it someday but i was also dealing with the fact that you know full metal alchemist is one of the last shows i can think of where the majority of viewers straight up 90% probably watched it dub first because they had to. Um, There just wasn't a streaming service at the time when it came out. And so you get into where we're at now and anime as a, if anime is a pie, it's a bigger pie than it's ever been. Yeah. But dubs are a smaller slice of that pie than they've ever been Mm. Um, because subtitles are faster and you can sort of impose whatever read you want to on it as an audience member. Yeah. Um, and there are legitimately, I think, Japanese uh, studios have more resources to throw into their their performances. Like, I think those actors probably get a little more time to do what they do. Um, yeah. Because we're doing simul dubs, we're trying to catch up with them uh, as fast as humanly possible. Um, so there's there's some legitimate. Uh, I'm not going to say subbed over dubs, but I think there is some legitimacy to uh, people who prefer to watch in that way. Um, I basically said subbed over dubs. I don't mean it. I don't <laughs> mean it. I love dubs. We're clipping this. Everyone's coming for you right now, Aaron. No, I, I see what the appeal to the subs. So nobody, put the pitchforks down. Put the pitchforks down. I'm, but listen, I, I, yeah. I'm I'm guilty of that too. Like even, for instance, like Ryan Coltleave is a good friend of mine and Chainsaw hmm. Man, you know, like... Uh, they come out in the subs before they come out in the dubs. And I'm as a huge fan of Chainsaw Man. I want to yeah. know what they're doing. And then yeah. I make sure and I go back. And, and although I'm 
must say Ryan's performances has made me just want to be patient at this point and experience it oh, that way. For he the, is for, killing it. It's I astonishing. Know. I'm so happy for for him and everybody, Gabe, everybody who's a part of that uh, show. It's so fantastic. Uh, yeah, it's such a unique show. Um, but yeah, I see what you're saying. There's a a, a big legitimacy to uh, anime being so accessible now. It's not just like. I mean, you got Netflix, you got Hulu, you've got Crunchyroll. You know, yeah. everybody is is seeing the appeal and the love of anime. I mean, we're even, we're even getting live action dubs. I just saw today they confirmed a live action My Hero Academia movie to be done by Netflix. This is like news today. So mm. I don't know when this is this is coming out be, like in two weeks, but you know, I mean, yeah, that'll be a movie. <laughs> that will be a movie. I mean, <laughs> no one will be able to say otherwise. <laughs> they will make a movie. They <laughs> will make a movie. Uh, I'll probably watch it. I mean, but it, it'll be, a, I will watch a movie. That's what they're uh, counting on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You let me know if it's good. If they manage, I, if they pull it off. <laughs> I, I still remember the Death Note live action movie, just seeing the clip, the side by side, where it showed uh, the first time Ryuk appeared to uh, Light Yagami in the anime. And Light's like, I thought something like this might happen. And he's like, <laughs> still all manic and, and uh, not, not manic, he's still all diabolical. Yes. And then they do it for the live action version, and he just poops himself. He whines and falls off his chair and he's like crying and it's like why why'd you do my boy like that? I know. Why I can't know. you respect the source material? I did hear the Duffer brothers are doing some sort of live action Death Note thing. I think maybe it's a series as well. So Okay. I I feel like a big part I'm curious of your opinion on why there is such um like I'm going to use this word and just because I don't know any other way of saying this. Sure. Uh, maybe I don't mean it this way, but I'm just going to say it this way. They've been largely failures in the West, uh, live yeah. action dubs of things. Mm -hmm. um, I know there have been a lot of successful versions of live action dubs that have been done in Japan, um, you know, where even through the fantastic nature of it, it's still like, I mean, there was a Full Metal Alchemist uh, live action, uh, uh, not, there was a, a live action uh, iteration of Full Metal that they did live uh, in Japan, and they do them all the time. I mean, Roni Kenshin. I uh, there's there's tons of them, and I think they are fairly successful. But something about when it's it's like translated into for an American uh, or an English speaking audience, rather, um, it just doesn't hit the mark. I don't know why. Uh, do you have an opinion on why that might be? As somebody who is <laughs> very closely attached to a lot of these source materials, I've got. I think I've got two opinions. So, okay, when you say live action dubs, you're talking about a live action sorry. movie that's getting a dub. Yeah, or yeah, sorry, live action, um, just live action movies adaptations or TV adaptations. Of sorry, yeah, 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 okay. adaptations. Yeah, okay. So I, I think my main thought is it seems to me that Japan. Whenever it's a Japanese studio, it seems to me that they do not have access to whatever secret um, technology is being used by Hollywood for CGI. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And there's something else that really bothers me with, with those movies, which is that they can't seem to find a decent wig. I see cosplayers <laughs> yeah. with better wigs all the time, you know? Yeah. There's some very strange looking hair in anime uh, live action movies. And I'm like, what? You could have just dyed it. 
you could have just dyed your hair, but instead you're wearing this strange wig and you didn't even get your eyebrows. Yeah, yeah. It's, or I, I, you could just not change your hair color because, you know, the reason they do all the weird hair colors in anime is because the faces can't look distinct enough. But, like, yeah. human faces look distinct enough. You don't need the different hair colors whenever it's an actual person. I will say, though, when I was a kid and that first Dragon Ball Z uh, movie came out, the live-action version. With, uh, <laughs> oh, that. That, like, and, and, like, Goku was basically just, like, a short-haired dude at the time. I was yeah. like, I want the Saiyan hair! Like, as a little kid, so, but maybe yes. that's just a, an age difference, but I don't that know. That one's fair. I mean, yeah. what is what is Dragon Ball without the hair? Yeah. Come on. It, it is, like, uh, gosh, maybe that's, I had a tremendous, I just cut my hair, you, you wouldn't know now, but I, <laughs> I, I have a tremendous hair identity, and probably a bit of that comes mm. from, like, seeing these JRPG anime characters where it's, like, yeah. the hair is so, like, you know, your character-defined, like, the most character-defining thing a, a, an anime character usually has is what color and style is their hair. And maybe that's where it came for me and a lot of other similar kids. I, Final Fantasy, I think, really set the precedent on that, right? Like, Final Fantasy yeah. was like, was like, we're going to take about half our effects budget and use it on <laughs> making that hair swoosh. Yeah. It's going to swoosh. And now with these, like, now with the, the Unreal Engine graphics we have, it's got its its, its own, it's, it's a character, like in the remake of Final yeah. Fantasy VII. Cloud's hair, it, there's a separate Chocobo character on top of there yeah. that, is, is, that should be playable. It's just like... Absolutely. It's crazy, the, the <laughs> hair effects. Um, I, sorry, I know we went on tr a tremendously fun tangent here, uh, oh, but yeah, I wanted so to ask you, too, like, where, at what point in your career then... Um, I know we talked about, you just said, like, at the, the time you're like, maybe I can do this as a career. But at what point in your career, you know, if you were given this first opportunity by your cousin, your mom was taking you around, you had opportunities yeah. coming your way, and you were saying yes to, was there a point where you're like, I think I love this, I'm really enjoying what I'm doing, and I want to make this a career in uh, that sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, the first time I went in when I was nine, oh, I was okay, like, I really yeah. love this. But I... It was just a question. The only question ever for me was like, do I like dare to hope that I can mm. do it? Because it's that thing of, you know, I'll put it like this. I, I was one of those angsty kids who um, thought it was better to not try to catch uh, the ball in a, in a game of sports ball so that if I, you know, so that I, I can't fail because I didn't swing the bat, that sort of uh, thing, uh -huh. you know? And, and so there, there's, it's kind of terrifying to give your all towards a goal and, and know that if you fail, it's because you weren't good enough to accomplish your dream. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it took a long time for me to sort of gauge, am I good enough to where it's worth committing and, and sort of risking my ego, I guess. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, that was always the question. The question wasn't, do I love it? Of course I loved it. It felt like it felt like playing a video game to me. Yeah. Um, like it was like a role playing game where like with rhythm elements. You yeah. Know, where <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like you're like doing karaoke kind of um, karaoke with feelings, I guess. 
That, that is, is what anime that is, dubbing felt like. That is the first time I've heard someone explain that in that way, but it is so true. It is it, it is like a video game when you're doing mm-hmm. like dubbing in that way, and you get that kind of satisfaction of being like, yes, I did this performance in my unique way with all my emotion, and it fit the duration that it is needed to, you know? Yeah. like It's a very accomplishing thing to have a really good take that's not like, all right, you took way too long. We got to redo it. <laughs> like, there's such yeah. satisfaction in that. And and that's always the thing that I enjoyed most in video games. Like I loved I loved playing like Fallout New Vegas with all the dialogue options and stuff where where you can really role play and and you know spend time with the characters and imagine that you're somebody else. Mm. Um, there's something really fun about that for me. So what what kind of kid were you? Were you playing video games and watching anime prior to even like getting involved in this stuff or was it through the involvement that you found your love for all of this stuff? Uh, I loved video games as a kid because they were a forbidden fruit. I wasn't allowed to have video games. Mm-hmm. And so I sought them out. Like, Secretly. I was like a bad friend to my friends because whenever I would get to their house, I'd be like, so when are we going to get my fix? Yeah, you know? throw that Super Mario so you wanna, on. <laughs> you wanna, I don't know, play games. And they're like, I thought we were talking about our crushes. And I'm like, yeah. no, I think we should play some video games. <laughs> <laughs> uh,. Yeah, so there's that, and then in terms of anime, again, Justin would give me, he would hook me up. Mm. Um, he was he was very good friends with my dad. They were in a band together, so he was around a lot. Um, okay. Uh, Jerry Jewell was also in dad's band, and he's uh, a director at Funimation now, or Crunchyroll. Um, he he was Kyo Soma in Fruits Basket. Oh, sure, yeah. Uh, Basically, I was I was around some people who had to do with it. Chris Sabat once did a remix of my father's band's uh, one of their songs. No kidding. No is that kidding. Accessible? Is that accessible to the to the public here or no? <laughs> I have no idea. I will drop the Peach Truck Republic though. That's the name of the band. Heck um, yeah! Heck yeah. yeah! So what what were the types of games that you liked playing? Were, were you a Final Fantasy kid, or what was that type of game that you liked playing? Morrowind was my the first game I got to play. I would I would play it in secret at night. What game? Morrowind. I've never uh, heard of a, this. So there's Skyrim, and before uh-huh. Skyrim, there's Oblivion, and before yes. Oblivion, there's Morrowind. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and Morrowind is uncanny valley these days. But back when I was playing as like a thirteen year old, I got this computer and I wasn't really supposed to have video games on it, but I sort of like snuck it in uh-huh. and uh I would play at night and that world was just so cool. You know, Oblivion and Skyrim, they're basically like a regular fantasized version of our world. You know, if you go in the woods you get attacked by a bear mm-hmm. or a minotaur. Stuff you've heard of before. Morrowinds has mushrooms instead of trees. And um, people farm creatures called Bull and Betty Netches, which are bioluminescent floating creatures um, that have shells. uh, (laughs) Like they're like floating crustaceans. And there's a whole uh, ecosystem around them and there's a whole economy around them. People like are ranchers of these things. So it's just like weird world building. It was like nothing I'd ever seen before. And I, I ate it up. I spent hundreds of hours in there. Harvest Moon meets Skyrim meets Oblivion, uh, and I guess whatever has uh, luminescent uh, animal creatures, I guess. Yeah, I don't know what game that is, but yeah, that sounds fascinating. Yeah, yeah it was very good. How about you? The, oh, I was a big, you grow up on? 
Oh, gosh. I mean, uh, a lot of JRPGs. Uh, yeah. Final Fantasy Seven was a very early game, but, but SNES RPGs, Chrono Trigger, Legend of Gaia, Illusion of Mana. Uh, uh, yeah. Chrono, uh, did I say Chrono Trigger already? You um, did, yeah. Grandia. I just got to check out Chrono Trigger. Oh, it's um, I'm, I'm just now playing it at, at Rico Fajardo's uh, uh-huh. suggestion. I think that's yeah. his favorite game to date. It's, I mean, it's the same character designer as the people who did Dragon Ball Z. You're kidding. Yeah, no kidding. So, uh, huh. Chrono is based, that's why his hair looks like freaking Super Saiyan uh, Got 4 it. Goku. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's a really great game. I mean, I, I want to play in all those JRPG things as a kid, and that's kind of, I, I never thought I would get into um, voice acting or acting, but I always had a love for games and anime. Mm. I grew up like that. I mean, Naruto was a huge influence on my life growing up, and, um, you know, Death Note, all these really great, I mean, Full Metal was a huge impact on me as a kid, and I did never really thought of, like, that love never translated to I wanted to be an actor. It was just like I wanted to be a part of these things. And then later yeah. I found a separate love for acting. And then I was like, gotcha. wait, I can marry these two <clears throat> loves. And that's how that happened for me. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. What? So you decided at some point in college to uh, – what, well, first off, what did you major in college? Was it you didn't major in acting? Okay, yeah, that's what I was going to ask. So this got into the the thing, which you know. So I had to graduate college in three years. It was part of a deal I made with my folks. Okay. Um, and then I had scholarship stuff going on, and and also a, uh, um, I had a bunch of AP classes that allowed that to happen. Mm-hmm. So I needed to, to pick a major really fast, and so I auditioned. For the theater department, I said, okay, if this audition goes well, then, and, and I get some parts, then I'll be a theater major. And if not, then I won't be. I'll, I'll major in something else. Um, and I did it, and they said, okay, we're having callbacks, uh, and, you know, we'll, we'll get back to you. Uh, and I never got a call. Later, I learned that the callbacks are not really callbacks. They're, they're postbacks. They had posted my name for the callbacks for multiple plays. <sighs> but they didn't call me. They they took down my phone number, and it's called a callback anyway. I was an idiot. Very weird. They didn't do callbacks at my high school. That wasn't yeah, a thing. Yeah, the, 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 the callback part board, I didn't do it, but my fiance, she did it in high school, and it was like, yeah. that's what they did. They would post, and you see it in a lot of old movies, they'd post the castlets and callbacks yeah. on, like, outside the theater doors, but it's like, why call it a callback, then, if you're not going to call me? Exactly. Unbelievable. That's how I felt. So, anyway, I didn't, I wasn't able to do a play my first semester, and, and that sort of put me in a bind. Mm. Um and so I, I ended up just doing uh, history because I love it. Um, and, and I love history because it's storytelling. Yeah. So it was always about storytelling for me. Um, I also did history because I did all the history AP stuff. And so I knew that it would be easy to graduate in three years if I did that. And I, I honestly don't regret it. I'm still very into history and it, it informs my um, it informs the way that I write quite often um and i still do a lot of writing yeah so uh that's what i was actually going to ask you about what what part of writing where did that come into the mix in terms of doing writing or script adapting or what is are you writing outside of doing script adapting do you want to like make your own cartoon or anime what is what is writing for you in in your life yeah uh 
So I, in terms of adaptive writing, I, I actually quite enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've gotten to do it for some really cool shows. I've gotten to do scripts for Tokyo Ghoul, Fire Force, Dr. Stone, uh, Attack on Titan, um, a lot a lot of awesome shows. And you kind of end up, I talk to myself like a maniac the whole time that I'm doing it. I perform every single line that I'm writing as I, as I work it, you know? Um, and, and so you get attached to the characters and, and it feels like really good acting exercise to mm. do it because when you think about the order of the words and the meaning of the words and, and the strength of a metaphor and, and what's being referred to previously, you're flexing all the muscles that you need to flex when you're an actor sight reading who has to figure out how to ground these words and give them some sort of, you know, meaning and, and background. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it's been hugely helpful for me in terms of just developing myself as an actor to do adaptive writing. So I've done that for years, um, all because of a short story contest I won back in the day. And now, uh, now that I'm finally, well, I had a, I'm sorry, this is so rambly. I, I had a, uh, voice blowout. Um, yes, I, I was also curious back. about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that forced me to stop doing adaptive writing for a while because I talked to myself like a maniac. Ah, um, okay. And so I wasn't directing. I wasn't doing adaptive writing. I suddenly had a bunch of time on my hands and I started writing my own stuff again. Um, mm. And now uh, me and Sarah Wheatonheft, she is power in Chainsaw Man. Heck we yeah. are working on a comic right now. We're going to release it Webtoon style soon. <gasps> Oh, gosh. I say soon. It might be a while. Yeah, yeah. Can you give us any info on what it's about or where the inception for it oh, came heck from? Oh, yeah. Um, so the story is, I'll put it like, it's basically the Protestant Reformation, but um, with necromancers instead of the Catholic Church. Oh, fun. Um, and the, the inciting event for it is based on this very spooky story that's a true story. It was about a guy who fell in love with a dying young woman. Um, and he, uh, there was a huge age gap. Uh, he asked her to marry him even as he was treating her condition for free, even though he wasn't a real doctor. Um, huh. She said no to the marriage, but yes to the treatment uh, because she didn't have any other options. She was very poor. Yeah. Um, after she dies, because he wasn't a doctor... Uh, he builds this elaborate mausoleum for her. He could have used that for a doctor, but he instead does it like this. Uh, and eventually people get suspicious and they check the mausoleum and it's empty. Um, and he had her, he had her body and he was preserving it, um, in his home. So anyway, I turned that guy into a necromancer and then, uh, I gave that girl a little sister and the little sister wants to free her zombie sibling. Um, and, and get revenge on the necromancer. I love that. Thank you. That sounds fun. So how far along are you? Have you written uh, a couple of volumes at this point? Have you done, are you at the point of doing character artwork? Like how far along is it? Uh, we've got all the character art done. I've, I've drafted the entire, you know, first arc, which yeah. is, which may be where it all ends. And that's okay if it ends there. Um, that's, so it's 20 chapters. It's probably like, 160 pages or something like that i've written um that's a chunk yeah and sarah (laughs) has drawn drafts of the first two chapters of that 
And so what we're going to do is probably get to like five chapters and then we'll start releasing and we'll also uh, put out a thing that we're hiring artists ah. um, so that we can start pumping stuff out a little faster. Hey, I know a ton of artists watch and listen to this podcast, so I guess hey. stay, where where are people just Twitter? Like, where is that going to be accessible to find information on? Yeah, Twitter's Twitter's a great spot. Uh, we'll probably post it on all our socials. Um, okay. So Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Uh, Sarah's TikTok, not okay. mine, because I don't have one. No, you I don't want to get, get in on doing some dances and stuff? That's not... I know. <laughs> I gotta do it, but I don't wanna... I'm, I'm 30. Hey, I'm, I'm... Listen, I'm in my 30s as well, so... <laughs> yeah, it's tough. It <laughs> is, it is. I mean, well, that's what I find a lot of people who are in our industry having TikToks. I mean, it doesn't have to be that, and I think it's whatever version of fun is for yeah. you is can is is the most appealing for people to watch it's like it doesn't have to right. be what the algorithm is demanding it could literally just be your version of whatever you find fun and enjoyable and for me oftentimes it's just like me and my cats and if that's not going to get a lot of views then that's fine but that's what i like making <laughs> videos of so yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it is what it is um gotcha. so th that sounds really fun so you're going to do it on uh webtoons first and then mm -hmm. maybe if you find publish. Pub yeah. yeah publish to do physical copies that's that's awesome mm -hmm. yeah we're that's... very excited we're going for sort of this uh fairy tale over the garden wall kind of style yeah um, and and that's something i have to say like if i wasn't in this business if i wasn't a voice actor uh, you know who's been doing it for 20 years i wouldn't have time to do it mm. it's it's really cool to finally be at a spot where um my where 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 my my living is secured um and that's largely due to anime conventions which yeah. is weird it's very strange to have uh like twice a month um twice a month i go and work for a weekend really hard and then aside from that it's like recording less than 10 hours a week and that's my life it's really nice i'm yeah. so grateful it's it's a wonderful thing, and, and uh, it's definitely a blessing when you get these opportunities to be a part of franchises or IPs that have such a devoted fan base and or you yeah. get a character that is so impactful. And I think it's a marriage between getting that and also putting in such hard work as the actor to make it that much more lovable to people to want to come and meet you as the the actor. And for someone like you, from me watching on the outside, from absorbing who you are through social media and things of that nature, you also mm. seem like a really nice, genuine human being. So it's like oh. the marriage of all of those things you seem to have and have been and and had been fortunate to to get those opportunities. But I think I think people fall in love with the, the the shows, then people fall in love with the characters, and then people fall in love with the performers. And I think that's why you know people like you become successful at these conventions. Um, Thank you so much. That's really kind, Paul. Oh gosh, I mean, it's 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 the truth. I mean, you, I could be, I could not know you at all, and it could be the complete opposite, and you could be a, <laughs> a necromancer in your lair for all I know. But you know, from that's what it appears to me. Maybe I'm a nice necromancer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe. The, you know, yeah, necromancers get a bad rap. You know, just because they're summoning the dead doesn't mean they're bad people. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, I know, it's ridiculous. We could use some free labor. Yeah, right? <laughs> I should yeah, stop. God. I stop. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Hey, listen, I played a me necromancer in Diablo. It was one of my favorite classes. So, Dude, um, that's awesome. Shout out to That's really awesome. Yeah, I love him. Uh, I want to talk about you losing your voice because I remember when yeah. you announced that that seemed like 
um, from seeing that, I can imagine that it was like terrifying for you. And it, it seemed very layered and intimate. And as much as you feel like sharing, what was that experience? How did you figure out that that was happening? What was the, the process for you getting your voice back? You sound pretty healthy right now. Yeah. What was that entire little moment in your life like? And, and how did it like affect you as a, a performer, you know, worrying about doing this for the rest of your life? Yeah. Um, Okay, so it started with me working with a studio I'd never worked with before, mm-hmm. and their way of doing things was harder than what I had ever done before. Just and 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 I was pretty fast at picking it up, but the the end result was that my skill. Uh, I had the experience of basically, you know. I've been doing this for 20 years, which means I'm, I'm very good at it, but also my voice uh, has been pushed a lot. Um, and I guess my experience uh, and skill like outpaced my body, if that makes mm. sense. And so what I did was in an effort to impress the new studio, I did about 150 cues an hour for four hour sessions. Um, and we did that four times in a week. And the character was about 12 years old. So it was at my very highest range and he was constantly panicking, um, just freaking out. And I, I should have asked for more breaks than I did. And when stuff started to get tense, I should have said, Hey, we gotta, I don't care about your deadlines. Mm. We gotta start spreading this out more. Um, and I didn't stand up for myself like that. And and I'll regret that forever. And and I will urge people to do to do that. Um, listen to your body, etc. Yeah. So uh, there was this moment where I was supposed to make a sound and I I felt this clinching. And uh I was just like, I can't do it. And then I took a week where I was totally silent after that. Um and I tried to talk after the week. And it was still clenching and tight. And I ended up getting diagnosed with muscle tension dysphonia, which is basically your muscles reflexively clenching in order to defend themselves against Mm. you damaging them again. Uh, So my vocal cords, they end up sticking scopes and I saw all sorts of specialists and my vocal cords are okay. Um, It was, it was the muscles that make them move that were messed up by it. Uh, And it's been, God, it must be like nine months since that happened. Wow. Maybe close to a year. And I still have muscle tension dysphonia, just not as bad as as it was. Not as bad as it was even a month ago. Wow. So uh, it's progressively been getting better, which is a good thing. Yes. But slowly. Oh, God, slowly. Um, what, and what? it's still sp- spooky anytime that I do have to yell for acting. I'm a little bit spooked by it. And I do think my my range is lower now you know i've lost some range permanently from that and you know that's okay what have you been doing to combat that or treat it is there some sort of routine or exercises or uh, medicine like what is how or how do you how have you been combating that semi-occluded phonation my good friend okay what you do is there's a lot of ways to do it you can poke a hole in a styrofoam cup you can buy a rubber cup yeah um you can get a straw and put it into water Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah Um, but the goal, this also works. What I do is I take my finger and I go, looks 
goofy but and then and then i'll do uh long notes uh going up five notes so like what would you do if i just went all the way through i would have sat here patiently <laughs> and enjoyed it every second of it and i think everybody else here watching listening i was really well. tempted to just do it <laughs> uh but yeah so i do that every morning and every night um and before i record i'll do that um i also drink slippery elm tea and i uh yeah it's so good I drink obscene amounts of water. I cannot be seen without this thing. Um, and was that the case prior to this happening? Were you a big water drinker or did that become part of your life? Yeah, I've always been a big water drinker, but I wasn't a big warm-up person until okay. this. Yeah. And I wish I had been. That's another thing that probably would have saved me. Um, if I was just like yeah. properly doing warm-ups, avoiding caffeine yeah. right before do, uh, doing sessions. Uh, I've always avoided alcohol before a session. That's that's a big one that most people might not know about. Yeah, I try to get as drunk as possible before every session. <laughs> I try to I try to basically wander into my booth or into the session. Um, yeah, you know, as wobbly as possible to really excellent. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that sounds like to me. You know, I, I, I've had scares. I remember one time I was doing an ADR gig or sorry, a, a loop group gig for a movie. It was a horror movie. And oh, cool. uh, it was people like me and uh, a lot of great actors like Michael Sinter Nicholas was was in there, like a lot of, you know, top people. And they wanted it, it was basically kind of like. It's like, all right, all these kind of big pros in the room with you. And they're like, who wants to do this? And everyone's like, I'll do it. You know, I'll do it. And I remember yeah. the first time I kind of put through my hat in the ring to do a moment was like a big, terrifying scream. It was the first thing I did. I felt something. I oh. From the first line, I was like, I felt something happen here. And I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. And um, from doing that. I know I, I sat back and I was like, I'm letting everybody else doing the heavy lifting. I'm going to get through what I yeah. can. I wound up going to a, um, a vocologist or a laryngologist. Sorry. Yeah. And, laryngologist. Uh, I have, I actually have pre nodules in my throat now and I have to go to <sighs> vocal therapy for that, but it's something I can work through. You got to, you know, get cool. therapy for, but it's to, to echo your point, you know, take care of your voice just because something seems like you have to impress these people. It's like that one moment of you, like trying to impress and overwork yourself can lead to months as you know, you've been dealing with of, of trying to rectify um, a problem you might cause. Yeah. It's um, yeah. And, and, there's a, you know, it, it'll be a, a long road ahead of me, I think, before uh, studios are going to want to risk, you know, before it'll be smart for a studio to risk casting me in something important mm. because it's known that I'm brittle now. Uh, and that's just part of the, part of the deal. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's a slow it's a slow, there's the physical recovery and then there's also the like career recovery. Yeah. Um I'm lucky to be where I'm at where I can sort of to some extent my livelihood is uh buoyed by stuff that I did when I was 12 years old, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It's Yeah. If I wasn't <clears throat> if I wasn't in that position, I would have been in really big trouble whenever this happens. Do you think you would have made it public that that had happened to you if you didn't have that situation in your life? Did you feel like the, the yeah. fear of like letting people know about that? No, I, I would have made it public no matter what. Okay. Only, only because I needed, 
I needed to step down from those roles and people deserved to know why. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I can't think of another way to do it. I also, I think Mark Twain is the smartest person in the world when it comes to honesty. Mm. Uh, like he just has the best quote ever, which is just, I never lie so that I don't have to, because that way remember I don't have them. to remember anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I heard that before. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to have to keep track of <laughs> yeah, deceit. I, I, I have to, I mean, that's a great philosophy and I think most people try to live by that. It's a very, yeah. I, I can empathize or understand the people that, who aren't maybe as fortunate to to like have anything to fall back on to say I'm scared to make whatever you might be dealing with public because yeah. they people might not cast you and you you're not you don't have that uh, buffer financially it's it's a hard it, that it's it shows even more so why it's important to take care of yourself because if something goes wrong you may not have a buffer to fall back on and being out of work for whatever reasons or having to give that I mean. It could. I'm sure you even know in your position to say to to have to step away for some things could be very scary, and you wonder like, yeah. was it worth it? Was it worth taking that risk to show a studio like, hey, I'm I'm game for anything. I don't care if I break my voice. I I feel like it's it's it was thing. not yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was super not worth it. Would, um, would there have been a project that it would have been worth doing? What's the project it would have been worth doing it for? Is there one? Is there is there? Oh, any? there are a few. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Gosh. Okay. No. Now I'm thinking hard. I mean, <laughs> is there? No. No. I'm gonna say no. That's There's the answer. Not. Yeah. It's a trick the project, question. The project that's worth hurting yourself for should be so professional and so like, and then the director should be so on point that they should not put you in a position where there's a risk of having to push yourself too far. You've been PR trained, haven't you? <laughs> no. <laughs> that is the best answer, though. That is so true. Anybody who is anybody who cares about their actors and is working at that level would never put uh, an actor in that situation. And I think uh, you're seeing a lot more studios be conscious of it. I've, I've worked myself with studios being like, we want to know when it's not good enough for you. Please do not work past it. And they're even more yeah. so like, no, you're stopping now. I know we yeah. need to get this, but we're stopping. We hear the scratchiness in your voice. You know, we're putting all of your big efforts at the end of the session. Like, if there's ever yeah. a studio that wants to start with, like, some huge, like, Super Saiyan screams in the front, and then they're like, yeah, we got three more hours of stuff afterwards. I think yeah, you just got to walk know away. What they're doing yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and you can start by asserting yourself i mean like could we do this in the other order and sort of you know teach them a bit yeah uh, but if they fight back on that i'd walk away yeah that's a great that's point. what i do these days yeah, yeah. And, th and that's great advice for anybody listening i think that's much newer that finds himself with maybe indie studios that haven't had much success themselves uh mm -hmm. a lot of people don't really understand that if you're not an actor it, it's hard to understand. It, it's like, how can you understand an instrument that you've never inspected very, you know, like how can you know about a trumpet if you've never held a trumpet before in your hand? How can you know yeah. about what goes on in, in a voice actor in their performance if you've never used your voice in a similar capacity? So that's why I think a lot of the greatest directors and studios, um, even on film and in voiceover, are people that have, have done a little bit of things. I, I often find the most caring directors are people who have also done acting themselves. They yeah. empathize for the performers. Have you seen that with, with people you've worked with? Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and a lot of, uh, sometimes it goes, it, it can go either way. Like I know some engineers who are 
some people who started as as audio engineers that became fantastic directors mm. but their their route into becoming fantastic directors involved acting you know yes um, chris george kyle phillips come to mind absolutely uh, yeah uh how to put it i think that a lot of it is you have to have experienced the struggle that your actor will encounter yourself. Yeah. You don't have to, but it's very helpful if you're like, oh, I've been exactly where you are right now. I know why you're having trouble with this because I've, I've been in your shoes. Mm. And then you can articulate how you got through it. Um, yeah. That's just the simplest route, really. Absolutely. And shout out to all the people who are doing the work for our community out there and watching out for, for people. I think it, you know, it doesn't go unrecognized and, you know, thank you for, you know, like being somebody who has been vocal about your experience with your voice and stuff. It, I think it's, it probably will help a lot of people more so than you can imagine. Um, oh, thank you. Or, you know, worried about their voice. It's, it's been, um, you know, we had Griffin Burns talk about his experience with his lungs and at this, mm. I just think it's really helpful for people to hear like, you know, these things happen just because you've been doing it for 20 years does not make you impervious to the elements of life and, uh, your own body. You know, we all have limitations. Yeah. Um, so yeah, thank you for, for talking about that when you didn't and, and here, mm. um, and I wish you a very healthy recovery throughout, you know, however long it takes you to feel like you are nearing a hundred percent. I really do. Um, thank you. I wanted to talk quickly about uh, one of my favorite shows, and um, I, I, I'm, 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 you did a, just a fantastic job. It's Dr. Stone. I mean, I'm sure you get this a lot. It is one of my favorite shows. A friend of mine hooked me onto it, and like, it has all of the elements. Like, it's got like a little bit of a Doctor Who meets like dystopian, <laughs> apocalyptic world. Like, a lot of intelligence is put behind it, and I thought you were like perfectly cast and even like talking to you now it just illuminates to me more why you're so good in that role uh thank you what was it about that role that you felt like okay this is this is the perfect fit for for why i'm playing this did you ever have that experience and having so much fun it seems like you have so much fun like savoring yeah. every every word that you're saying it, like what was that whole experience like for you uh senku's my favorite character i've ever voiced um I was actually blind cast for it. I mean, not blind, but I didn't audition. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Clifford Chapin, he's a voice of Bakugo is what a lot of people know him as, but he's also a fantastic director. One of my favorites. Um, he just decided I was right for that role. And we'd worked together like twice before that. Um, and so I'm very, I was very flattered. Um, and And he's really, I think he's the first genius that i ever played and so your only advantage against a genius when you when you have to play someone smarter than you is is time you can prepare uh -huh. um and so i i did i i read manga uh and i and i watched every episode before i did it and, and there were times where i would pause it and rewatch the same episode or the same moment and be like oh my gosh he unhinges his jaw what am i gonna do there uh -huh. the one thing i didn't prepare in advance was the the ridiculously long chemical compound names those we all did on the spot uh, <laughs> yeah it just wasn't worth it it wasn't worth my time yeah um yeah uh that role also has like some weird synchronicity stuff um so senku has a blood seal on him yep. e equals mc squared is written in his blood on his body which made me think of al 
And then he also refers to a philosopher's stone mm-hmm. and to equivalent exchange. When he does the blood seal, he brings up equivalent exchange. And I was just like, oh, my God, what is my life? <laughs> um, I, I thought that that was super special. And then, you know, just the, the show itself is is really good. And my favorite my favorite thing about it is that it's a shonen that doesn't have violence as the centerpiece. The, the dramatic question is not how will the hero overcome their physical limits in order to defeat the new greatest most powerful evil how will we how will we reach our new power level it is well there's a variety of dramatic questions right namely what happened to the world and how can we fix it yeah um and 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 i just think that violence is sort of the easiest way to do a video game or a a story uh, it's just the easiest thing to center your story around is, is war as your conflict. And sure. I, I always respect art that manages to make violence not the center um, of, of the gameplay or, or of the conflict between characters. Yeah, that's very fascinating. And uh, it's in an anime, I think there's a lot of uh, very intelligent, um, I mean, even, I mean, Death Note is similar but there is violence like yeah. it's based upon violence but it's very and we've got a war in dr stone you know we've got the stone wars yeah uh, so those things are present but it is very emotional and intelligent and it it's it's where i feel the most as an anime watcher i feel the most engrossed in what's happening because like you're saying it's not about who's stronger than who and what what the fight is about it's more like what are the moral reasonings behind doing certain things and those things that question you um while also having kind of typical shonen attributes as well it was like the perfect blend and marriage of all the things that i really like and it's been one of my favorite shows that i've i've gotten to 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 watch and and it's a fantastic dub a fantastic cast you guys all do such a great job um it's it's very good oh just it's a very um immersive dub i found yeah what i mean when i say that is there are some dubs that have a great main cast um, but then there are like moments where the script is just like takes you out of it where you're like, ooh, that that was a weird line. Why did they leave that? Did the licensor not allow them to translate that properly? Yeah. Or um, there's just someone who I'm like, oh, well, they brought in their cousin for a bit part, you know, <laughs> or something like that. And Dr. Stone, not one character feels out of place yeah. to me. And so I really and, and as someone who's in the industry, I'm sitting there constantly unable to turn off my director brain and be like oh that they read you know there's a you know the rule the emphasize new information rule do you know what i mean when i say that it's like one guy's like uh the enemy they have tanks and then he passes the binoculars and the other guy's like that's a sherman tank well sometimes if the guy's like if the actor is like bullshit bullshit my line then he'll say the enemy's got tanks and then he passes it and the guy's like that's a sh- I'm sorry. That's a Sherman tank. Yeah, yeah. If they both hit tank, they're not in the same room. I'm out of the room. I like I'm out of the scene. I'm like, who's directing this crap? You know, like I, I the story's dead to me all of a sudden, and it takes me a second to get back in. Yeah. Um, and and that just never happens in Doctor Stone. So props to Cliff. Um, yeah, he's yeah. he's a fantastic actor, and again, one another director that understands 
uh, what's happening on the other side of the glass. So I think that is yeah. why you're seeing such fantastic. Um, I mean, you see the similar things like from Mike McFarlane, these people who yes. have have had their feet in both those shoes before. And it's just like I feel like the the people they and they care the most about the, the product. And you said you had also done script work on Dr. Stone. So you had an mm-hmm. investment beyond, you know, being the main yeah, character yeah. And, and doing your performance. I mean, was that like also something you sought out doing? Like, I got to I got to have my hands on the pen and paper here, too. Or what was what was that like? Well, Tyler Walker um, who got me into script writing and was the first director who brought me on as an, as an, sorry, he, he trained me with script writing him and Monica okay. Real trained me. Mm. Um, but he, he brought me on as a director as well and trained me for that. Um, he's actually was my office mate whenever I was briefly a, a full time writer. Mm. Um, and so he was assigned Dr. Stone and because I voiced Sinku, um, whenever he needed time off, they gave it to me. Ah, okay. Uh, I got to, I still, I'll never forget doing the, the light bulb episode where yeah. Senku invents the light bulb because I got to write my monologue there. Mm. And so that was a time where it's just like, it's, it was like doing a play, you know, it was like I had gotten to rehearse. I had basically had the thing memorized. And so like, it just, you know, the ball moved in slow motion before I had to swing the bat, you know? What a rare um, experience to have as an actor to uh, nice. specifically in anime. And I, I remember that moment very clear and you seem so relaxed in that. Like yeah. it's, it seems so, I mean, gosh, I can't imagine how replicable that could be for many actors to experience, but what a very rare identifiable moment of somebody who's, you know, and it's very much in that character to be that way, like about the like outside, yeah. very meta, like, you know, that character writing the script for what he's doing <laughs> and saying it and knowing in such a way. That's that's really cool. I, I, I wish that was um, I, I guess a lesson from that is I, I wish more people who are getting into voiceover would take a stab at if they are interested and good at it, script writing so they can understand and see what it's like to um develop the words that inevitably you will speak and and more than likely read only once before you say them yeah i think something i would suggest that newer actors do is you know if you haven't done a voice reel yet maybe either don't hire someone else to to write your voice reel um or if you do take that and then change it to be the way you would say it yeah um you know take their suggestions and then morph them to suit you and then also write backstories around that around each part don't just let don't just do a hollow um you know this is my tough voice archetype (laughs) be like who are you decide who it is that you're being tough at and why and is it because your father wasn't very nice to you uh you know that sort of thing yeah Um, that's it it will lead to interesting choices um Specificity yeah. is so important, and I think that's uh, uh, something I'm constantly. I mean, I've been, do- you know, you've been doing this this long. I'm, I've been doing this for you know ten years at this point, and I always that's like always the biggest check for me. It's like, are you really being specific right now? Are you yeah. actually defining your previous circumstances? Are you actually defining something you're trying to attain right here? Like, it, 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 falling into generic-ville, as I like to call yeah. it, is a very easy and comfortable thing to do. And the second you make a specific choice unfiltered you can hear a difference if even if it's slight and it's subtle but it, it's so you can hear it so clearly did you hear about that guy in in nope 
the the Jordan Peele movie. Which guy? The uh, the like the the tech guy or who? <sighs> so I. <laughs> This was a conversation I had last night. I haven't seen the movie yet. There's <laughs> okay. a guy there's a guy who did an audition and apparently Jordan Peele called him after the audition. He was like, Man, you did something weird with that. I'm gonna have to rewrite this whole character just to cast you. And he's like Alright Oh uh, well all right, well, you know, l- let me know, I guess. And he's like, no, I mean, I'm casting you. But. Yes, yes. I, I know that it's, it's the same guy I'm talking about. He's like the camera the camera guy. And he's like, yeah. in in the uh, reaction of him, Jordan Peele telling him he got the role, his buddies there too who did the tape with him. And they're like, oh mm-hmm. my God. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's great. Yeah. That, that is great. <laughs> but yeah, he made, he made a strong choice and it had, it did not suit the script or the story, but it was real mm-hmm. and it was compelling. And that matters way more in terms of you standing out versus 2,000 other auditions. And some of these directors are are waiting through 2,000 auditions. Well put. That's uh, Make a strong choice. Make a yeah. freaking – whatever it is, got to make a choice. I mean so many people here have said it. Um, it's like that's the most important thing you can do. Just make a strong choice. Commit to it fully. And I think mm. more often than not, even if it's not what was asked, you'll make an impression. Maybe not on this yeah. role, but the next one or the one after that. Or somebody in the room who got to hear that was like, huh, that was pretty Absolutely. good. I'm going to remember that for the thing I'm casting. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great piece of, of advice. Um, Aaron, we we have already eaten up over an hour and 15 minutes of your time here. Time is absolutely uh. flying. Um <laughs> I cannot thank you enough for coming on here. It has, it has been such a pleasure and a gift to get to know you and talk about like some of this stuff and for sharing everything you do. Before we end here, I ask all of my guests as the nature of the points of experiences. You've already talked about some amazing experiences and some scary experiences in your life. But is there another experience that might come to mind, whether professionally or personally or just ridiculous in nature, uh, a, a joke you heard, a piece of advice from a director, something a brother, a sister, a parent had told you, a piece of advice that you uh, has stuck with you in life or an experience in life that you think our, our audience would benefit from hearing that you could pass down to a, another generation of people. Oh, wow. This isn't really like that valuable, but like it's stuck in my mind and so I may as well say it. Those um, are my favorite, please. I I once at the the zenith of my fame when I was 15 years old um I once had a a fan give me a comic book that she had made um starring her and me and it it begins with me sitting at a uh, autograph table and I'm sort of absent-minded and then you see like a little hand I've got a cup of water next to me you see a little hand roofie it um, and then I drink it and then I fall down onto the table and there's like a pool of blood in this comic around like coming out of my nose. Anyway, next thing you know, she, the fan is being informed that I've been kidnapped by another fan. She is like, somebody's trying to out fangirl me. Unacceptable. She helicopters, uh, or like parachutes down into this, uh, kidnappers mansion uh, murders her and then drives me home relatively safely, though quite traumatized. Oh, part of it in the mansion. Um, there she walked through this hallway and it was <laughs> decorated with a, a nude painting of me. 
strategically covered by her head in the in the the shot of it. Um, and I just wanted to let y'all know that that was awesome. That was really good <laughs> for my teenage ego. You know, I was I was struggling to find people to sit with at lunch uh, at that point in in high school, and then I went to a convention and someone gave me that. Oh and it my was god! Freaking hilarious. That. Um, <laughs> So I, I don't know what my point is. Uh, actors appreciate gifts, um, especially whenever they're creative like that. Heck yeah. Uh, maybe someone might be a little creeped out uh, if they weren't me, but I'm I'm pretty dark like that. And so I was very into it. <laughs> I mean, that is actually brilliant. Uh, and kudos to whoever <laughs> that artist was. And uh yeah, I mean, I think I, I think the fan and actor experiences, specifically at conventions, something that you've done way more than I have. But the appreciation um, that goes into like anytime anybody gives me anything, the fact and it like if it's personalized and they've decided like, okay, I'm not just gonna make this. I want to give this to you, like to me. It's like yeah, that means a lot. It doesn't go. I mean, I'm sure there's actors out there who are like, all right, toss this into the pile, and then that goes into the landfill afterwards. I hope that you know, yeah, you know, it, I understand that that's a lot of people are, are overwhelmed by things, but um, I think it says a lot about you as a person, and it, it it means a lot to a lot of actors. Um, that something we're a part of, a part that the fact that we're a part of the storytelling process, and you're choosing to be appreciative or or express your appreciation to us through a gift of that nature, it, it means a lot. And and it, you know, yeah. that, especially something that is sentimental and not monetary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That was ridiculously hysterical <laughs> and not at all what I expected, but I love it. I absolutely I love it. As you like developed your question at the beginning of the question, that seems like a possible answer. And then as you <laughs> developed your question, I was like, all it was just like covering my vision of you. Like was that, that comment? I was like, well, I'm gonna have to say it because I can't think of anything else. As the different ideas float to the surface, you were just like, okay, this one's staying right here. We're doing this yeah. one. <laughs> here we go. Oh my god, yeah. amazing. Well, Aaron, this has been such a treat to know you. Um, I, I honestly, I think you are one of the most sincere and genuine people that we have number one had on this podcast and it is very transparent and apparent in all your performances um and and again thank you for being a voice for people for the health and safety of um whether intentional or not that speaking on the behalf of people with your experience it means a lot it meant a lot to me um to hear you say that and to express the importance of of what you went through so um really i, I wish you the best of luck with that you still sound fantastic so i know you're continuing you. to kick butt we um also is there anything that people should be um that you can talk about i know ndas always come up but i love to give people the opportunity to say this is there anything coming up that people should be watching or just came out recently that people should be watching um or simply where can they find you at the very least uh i'm on i'm on twitter that's what i use the most for now uh i'll let y'all know if i ever make a tiktok uh in terms of stuff i'm working on uh i i'm one of the characters in blue lock and it's um one of many times that I've gotten to work closely with Rico Fajardo, he's, he's the star in that. Um, and I just had this like really trans, not transformative. It was, it was just a cathartic experience because that character is recovering from a, he's a soccer player. It's about soccer uh -huh. characters recovering from a torn ACL. Um, and he's like making the decision to run again. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, there's clever casting. Jonathan mm, yeah. Rick did the casting and, and yeah, I, I like shed some tears watching it. And so I'll, I'll recommend that. Heck yeah. yeah. 
Well, thank you. I'll be waiting for your uh, Webtoon comic to come out when it does. Yeah. Um, and, Thanks so much, Paul. And I'll be eagerly awaiting your first TikTok dance um, as, <laughs> as you cosplaying as Alphonse and Dr. Stone at the same time. I, I think everybody is going to be excited for that when you decide to, to make that commitment. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, Aaron, it's been <laughs> such a pleasure as, I, as I'm losing my voice here from oh, over, no. overuse. No, it's fine. Thank you again for coming on. And uh, I really, I, I hopefully one day we get to cross paths in person. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yes. Thanks so much, Paul. My pleasure. Take care, Aaron. Take care. It's very rare that you meet somebody um, and what you perceive of them to be via their social media engagement and the the type of person they perceive to be online. And when you meet them in person, obviously I've seen videos of Aaron, but he has, is seems as sincere as can be. And it, it, it's kind of magical. And I see... All the way back to Alphonse, why uh, he is as good as he is in in the roles that he does and is just such a genuine human being who seems kind of like elated the fact that he's still doing this and the fact that he didn't believe in himself and he's, he has found success doing it till this day. Um, it's no mistake why people, you know, not blind cast him, but choose him for roles like in Dr. Stone and want to keep working with him and even despite having what he has gone through and his voice continues to work and kill it. And, uh, he, what, what a, a fantastic, uh, a form of, uh, or an opportunity of nepotism. His cousin brought him into this career and so he was just genuinely talented. Uh, like that type of talent and sincerity is not, it's not directable. It's not, it's, 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 you either have it or you don't. And he just seems like a great, fantastic person. Um, Really, I'm. I'm just. I, I get so excited when I get to talk to these people. It's, it's, it's really a privilege for me, and I hope for all of you that you've been enjoying these, and we've been bringing on guests who are just like some of the best people out there, some of the most fantastic actors in this business. Um, we are just lucky to have people who care. Doesn't mean they have to be the biggest fans of anime. Doesn't have to mean they have the biggest fan of video games. Any of that. Um, I'm just I'm just very lucky. So thank you all for being a part of this. From my point, you know, points of experience, subscribing, all that stuff. You know the drill by now. Thank you so much, and we look forward to seeing you on the next one.